Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and happy wild card weekend. Wildcard, let's get after it. Before we preview those matchups, though, that's going to be the next edition of this episode. Want to take back and take a look at a few key usage notes from week 18. Only looking at the playoff teams at this point. We're not that big of savages, but there are some uh, notable things I think to have an eye on. Want to quickly go over the t- 2021 seasons QB1, RB1, wide receiver one, and tight end one. Just kind of look at the history of these fantasy football winners. And then I also have an article that you can find on pff.com breaking down the most complete teams teams that we'll get into a little bit later in the podcast and just go through some of the remaining playoff squad's biggest strengths and weaknesses ahead of the wild card round. Joining me today is none other than the PFF's own Dwayne, The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, regular season's over. Happy playoffs, man. Yeah, man. Happy playoffs. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of excited today, Ian. Like, you're you're bringing all the goodies to the show. Like, I get, I get to sit here and, like, look at all your cool stuff. <laughs> so, I feel like I'm just going to, like, kick back and open some gifts. So, appreciate you getting everything ready for the show. Great day to you, be great. It was all you today. <laughs> great day to be great. You know that, Dwayne. And, again, people, we'll be back with our usual preview pod with Dwayne's always amazing utilization report. Plenty of other goodness, you know, on the way, which will be available for you on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday. I started releasing the podcast just when we finished them. So if you guys see them in the late afternoon now, instead of the 6 a.m., 7 a.m. spot, that is why. But enough of that. Let's get into some of this week 18 goodness. Again, just going to kind of quickly go through this stuff. Obviously, a lot of injuries, a lot of resting starters. Not that many, you know, just key usage takeaways to really be worried about. But with that said, let's get into it. Starting off with the AFC. With the Chiefs, we did see Daryl Williams get injured himself. And that led to a Derek Gore and Jarek McKinnon split. Need to keep an eye on both Daryl and Clyde Edwards-Alaire now ahead of this matchup against the Steelers. We know the Steelers can be had league-worst defense in yards before contact per carry, so identifying who's going to be the RB1 in Kansas City, obviously important. If Daryl and Clyde both remain out, would seem like a two-back split between Gore and McKinnon. Also got to note the tilting Tyreek Hill heel injury, just 18% snaps after that pregame issue. Dude was like 80% owned on Saturday DFS. Not that, you know, it immediately impacted me. Of course it did. And Anyway, with the Bills, Devin Singletary workhorse season continues. But, Dwayne, the interesting part here, and we talked about this going into Week 18, Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKenzie continued to split reps, not right down the middle, but it certainly was you know, more of a split as opposed to Diggs and Gabriel Davis, who continued to work on the outside. Is this two-week sample enough for you to kind of be fading Beasley in these DFS slates moving forward in favor of the full-time outside receivers? 
Yeah, I think you have to go with Davis right now over Beasley, assuming Sanders is out. Like, once Sanders is back, like, that'll be a wild card. Is that yeah. going to be a rotation on the outside? Like, we know Diggs is going to be in his routes. We know Knox is going to see his routes. And at this point, we know Singletary is going to do his thing. But really, the wild cards in the Bills' offense, no pun intended, are Beasley, <laughs> Davis, and Sanders. But um, with McKenzie, you're right, 25% of the routes the last two weeks. Um, and Cole Beasley's been at 64% and 66%. And so earlier in the year, when you would see Beasley dip down into these kind of ranges and you'd go look you know, at the personnel usage, it would be like, oh, they ran more 12 personnel, right? They were ahead and they did some running, some things like that. And that's just not the case. If you look over the last two weeks, they've used 11 personnel on 74% and 77% of the snaps. So I do think that this is significant enough to basically downgrade Beasley a little bit. I still think he can come through. I still think even on the routes that he has, like he can come through and he could be a valuable asset. I think it does cap his upside though, if you know that McKenzie's going to see 20 to 25% of his routes each week. With the Bengals, again, they were resting all their starters, but that actually did include Samaje Pirine, which was interesting to see. I am guessing that he's going to kind of be a nice little value at the end of these best ball drafts throughout the offseason because he really does have three down handcuff potential behind Joe Mixon. I just don't think he's quite as sexy of a name as like a Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison's of the world. In his absence, Chris Evans and Travion Williams went ahead and split that backfield. So Evans, I know he's flashed some receiving goodness throughout this year, but the Bengals really do treat him as their undisputed number three back this is not you know a two-way committee behind Mixon with the Titans hand up everyone I took the L Jeremy McNichols got way before the game Doncho Hoyard is the lead pass down back I figured you know over two years being in Tennessee as the backup would mean something it did not but hey you know what Doncho Hoyard certainly did look like the better running back throughout the year credit to Tennessee for playing the better player um, and we also did see Nick Westbrook Akini still working ahead of Julio Jones as we know with Julio though the dude is always banged up with something hopefully that bye week gets Julio fully healthy and a returning Derrick Henry what but did yes, you have but it was snaps. Uh, Akini, uh, Westbrook Akini was ahead in snaps, but not Julio routes. got routes, though? Hell yeah. Yeah, 83% okay. um, routes per dropback for Julio and 69% for Westbrook Akini. And really, man, Julio's best game, 29% targets per route run, 29% target share, and an 18.9 ADOT. Barely got missed on a couple of really nice throws. Tannehill ex just exploded. He had a day, but it could have been even bigger. And that's, I already see a few people like slandering Tannehill's year, and it's like, I get it. It was not what we were expecting. But when you lose your top two receivers for the majority of the season, I mean, who isn't going to have problems with that? We saw what Tom Brady looked like from 2019 to a significantly better offense in 2020. That's basically what Tano had to go through to a bit lesser extent. But yeah, big takeaway here for Tennessee. If you want to get contrarian the next round and think about maybe, hey, extreme negative game script, Titans fall behind, it will be Dontro Hoyard as the RB behind Derrick Henry. Now, what are your thoughts just yeah. real quick, Ian? Like some of these people playing in like these best ball playoff, you know, tournaments, you know, yeah. and some, some you can only choose one player from each team, like the FFPC, but then there are others where like an underdog you can stack. What are your thoughts on Derrick Henry? <sighs> Probably fading him. We're already missing round one regardless. And yeah. like, look, man, he was in the play. He got completely shut down against the Ravens in the playoffs last year. I know he's had some big playoff games in the past, but let's not pretend like Derrick Henry like is just immune to these potential like 25 carry 70 yard performances. Like he's always kind of had that Saquon gene in him where, you know, you have 15 or so carries of nothing before you get the one big hitter. But again, doesn't have the pass down floor. So if the big hitter never comes, it is a problem. Have you been doing a bunch of these uh, drafts already? Is that kind of your spot? Yeah, I've done a few. I mean, I love them. I love the strategy of them. Like, I don't think Henry's going to be 
like I don't think he's going to be overly rostered. So I think that is a potential value okay. for him. But there's a wide range of outcomes. One, he could come back and really just be more a change of pace guy. They may not want to, you know, put him at more risk. But if they were going to do that, back to our conversation, we always have like, <laughs> why the hell is he out there anyway? Um, but we could also just see it be more of a committee, right? We could really see it be more him and Foreman with Hilliard handling the passing downs, you know, or he could work his way up to a full load. Say they did make it to the Super Bowl, right? And maybe he plays a full complement of snaps, snaps then, but doesn't until then. So I think there's a wide enough range of outcomes. I think I'm going to mix him in a couple of times, but for the most part, it will only be over in the FFPC where you have to choose one player from each team because then you don't really get the, the discount against you right as much for what you're dealing with with the bye weeks whereas over on underdog it's a major L to have to take you know I'm pretty much betting on the the, the teams that have the bye weeks I'm not using them yeah. <laughs> so basically if they make it to the Super Bowl like that's, I'm just going to live with it um, because you got to you got to score enough points to advance through each round so I'm avoiding him in that format but I think I'm going to take a flyer on him a few times over in the FFPC I don't know I will say, if he was in the NFC, it'd be more problematic. So I think we got some better run defenses over there. But you look at the Chiefs, the Steelers, and the Bills, and even the Raiders, I think, as well. Like These are some run defenses that can absolutely be had by a team yep. like the Titans that are going to continue to commit to that. More on that a bit later when we go through the most complete teams in the league. The key Which, is really how much he ends up being rostered. Like yeah. If it's high, you should just be fading him. Yeah. But we, I just don't know where he's going to land right That's now. That's basically DFS strategy every single yeah. week that Derrick Henry's in there. <laughs> yep, With the Patriots. It's Damian Harris, 48% snaps. Brandon Bolden, 45%. Ramondre Stevenson, just 15%. I know people want this to change. Stevenson's great in his own right, but so is Damian Harris, PFF's highest graded rusher on the season. Dwayne, this seems like a situation where, I mean, Damian Harris, like if one of these guys is going to take over the backfield and just start to be leaned on as the running back, y'all, it's going to be Damian Harris. Yeah. Well, Stevenson, just so um, just to be clear, he did leave the game with a head injury um, okay. in the second quarter, um, but he came back in the second half. But he just wasn't used that much. You know, after here's basically the way they've been using him. Damian, Damian Harris opens up the game and he's the early down back when the Patriots get ahead. Really, Stevenson has been closing things out. So I think if you think about like if we're talking like these playoff strategies and stuff like how are the Patriots going to win? Most likely through the ground game. That's really what they want. To do so, if the Patriots, you could argue if they were really successful and made it to the Super Bowl, probably Stevenson and Damian Harris have some success. But Harris really still is the guy that has, um, in, in my opinion, you know, just I go along with you, I think he does carry the most value because he gets to start every game. And then if the game script goes the other way, it goes to Bolden. But at least Damian Harris has already gotten some touches and hopefully gotten you a touchdown by them because at that point, Stevenson can really be an afterthought for the offense. With the Raiders, Josh Jacobs continuing to largely dominate snaps, 71% of them. But Jalen Richard, who, to his credit, made a couple nice plays in that just incredibly entertaining Sunday night affair. That was insane. Uh, yeah, he, he did ship in some salt. That third and like 23 the draw, draw play. play. Yeah, so like, you know, credit to Richard. The longest, the longest run for a first down this season. On third yeah, down. oh my God. That that whole night, man. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, and we also did continue. You seasons. almost got it, man. I was rooting for it with you. I know it was it was your 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 dream of circum of like short-circuiting like the whole Matrix was that game. Oh. In a tie, so. That would have been absolutely incredible. Alas, 
whatever. Like, you know, one thing, Dwayne, like, I can't believe, like, people were still talking about the timeout thing, like, two days later. Like, clock management, Twitter, is the single worst part of Twitter because either it's something that everyone, like, understands or it's just both sides of it just being, it's like politics, man. Clock management, Twitter is like politics. People just freak out, even, like, depending on what side you're on. Yes, they do. Yeah. Especially on island games. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody just goes nuts about everything anyway. Oh, that's, yeah, that's so true. That just added to it. I'm uh, taking a little Twitter sabbatical here. So, folks, I'll be back on there. But, like, just after a whole year, it's like I just kind of give myself a week to breathe. You know, <laughs> so I didn't get too wrapped up in it. I did see some of the stuff lying around, though. Pure madness. Zay Jones did continue to easily work ahead of Brian Ebers and Deshaun Jackson. This is one of the things we kind of talked about after week 17. Uh, just realized that he is someone that's really been seeing a ton of opportunities for the better part of the last six weeks. And, you know, if you are in one of these playoff uh, fantasy formats, I get Raiders. I wouldn't expect them to come out of Cincy with a win. But Zay Jones, he is someone that, you know, is sneakily going to see five to eight targets in a lot of these weeks. With the Steelers, Najee Harris got banged up, leading to Benny Snell getting most of the work ahead of Kalen Bilal. Some to keep in mind, depending on Harris's uh, its wild card status. We also continue to see Ray Ray McLeod in three wide receiver sets. But also note that Pat Frymuth was losing a little bit more work to Zach Gentry than we were used to seeing. A little bit more actionable, though. Dwayne was with the Cardinals. Chase Edmonds didn't practice all week and was ruled out. James Conner, you know, again, always a game time decision, but he did manage to suit up this time around. Just 61% of the snaps, though, with Eno Benjamin coming in and playing 33%. So previously in the year when Edmonds was out, it was James Conner getting an every down roll. This time it was a bit more split. So is this enough, Dwayne, where you think that Eno could maybe be a wild card later round pick? Or you just think maybe that was week 18. The Cardinals had something to play for, but now that the season is truly on the line, we'll see Conner getting back to that every down roll. Yeah, I think we just saw really, you know, Benjamin just filling in for Chase Edmonds being out, you know. So once is there anything new on Edmonds? Like, I know, you know, it's just the rib think injury. So we'll just kind of see what happens. We'll have to see tomorrow. Practice. We can talk about it more yeah. tomorrow. But right now, like, I'm assuming it will go back to Edmonds mainly playing the passing down role, handling about 30 to 40% of the rushing attempts. And you'll have Connor handling 50, 50, 50 to 55%, and then the early down roll. But the thing you get with these guys, look, and they've both been banged up some. Anytime the other one's out, like you have an RB1, a high-end RB1. <laughs> That's the basic takeaway. Um, you know, we'll talk more about the Cardinals and the way they're trying to attack defenses tomorrow. You know, they're not running the ball as much, so that makes it a little bit more problematic moving forward. But like if you get into a situation where it's just one of them, like, man, it's just it's it's great. Like if you look at the games though where they've played together, um, like here are James Conner snaps in the eight games they've played together, and they've both been healthy: 49%, 39%, 38%. 42 percent 48 55 30 37 and then Edmonds is 58 64 65 67 61 37 69 59 so those are over the first eight weeks because here towards the end like when we've had them even together like we haven't had them both healthy you know together so I think it won't be quite split that way I think it'll be more along the lines of what I talked about but at the end of the day like they're still both viable like if you're playing in these in these playoff contests but really and we don't want to say this but really like what you're rooting for is that just one of them is is really active you know uh, at least for like two of the games then it could really pay off otherwise I think it could be frustrating because the PPR finishes in those scenarios you are typically in the low 20s. 
That's like, man, you know, and it's probably just a sign of times that this is even an issue in my head. But like when someone gets hurt during a game, like, okay, our job is to try to tell what exactly the fantasy impact of everything is. It's also like, damn it, I don't want to just like be happy about this guy getting hurt because of course we aren't happy about it. But I also just want to immediately move past and be like, RIP, prayers up to James (laughs) Conner. By the way, Chase Evans three down RV season in the same tweet. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's a fine line that we walk yeah. in. Usually, I've, the, the thing I've resorted to recently is just, uh, remember the scene in Forgetting Sarah Marshall where the dude spills wine on his shirt and he's like, oh, I'll take my eyes but not the shirt. So now yeah. I'm just like, take my eyes but not injured yeah. player's limb that he just snapped. So I mean, the thing with Connor is like, you know, he's got three top three finishes this year when, when Edmonds is out. So, I mean, it's not just upside to be in the RB1 conversation. It's upside to be the running back number one. Yeah, James Conner, I mean, you know, fantasy comeback player of the year, you could yeah. argue. He uh, certainly would be in the running for that. NFC East, that uh, ridiculous Saturday night game between the Eagles and the Cowboys with Dallas actually playing their starter for most of the game. We did see Corey Clemento essentially replace Tony Pollard, who didn't travel with the team. And as Dwayne has been talking about really since the preseason, CeeDee Lamb without Michael Gallup in the picture does play a full-time role on the outside. Still gets plenty of targets regardless, but hey, every route matters. With the Eagles, Kenneth Gainwell couldn't even get the full-time role. With all those other running backs out, expect them and Dallas Goddard and company to be back in action though now that they need to get this wild card w with one the little difference with yeah. cedric wilson out there for dallas instead of gallup um when gallup was out there lamb would move into the slot in the three wide receiver sets right um, now he's picking up more routes because gallup's out but whenever wilson is the third receiver wilson's picking up all those inside looks so he's the one getting the better matchup he's getting the free releases and so we've seen him come through a few times this year but folks don't get like overly crazy with it like i'm hammering down on cd lamb yeah. you know in these playoff contests just because people are starting to get you know they're getting worried right because they're like well 13 percent targets 12 percent targets Last week, only 8%. Um, and look, we know like this people, you know, these players go through these things, yeah. but Lamb is the guy. He's the explosive guy that you want on the team. They're, they're all good receivers, but don't get carried away with the Cedric Wilson stuff. Could he come up with another good spot? Yeah, he could, but he's been out there for a long time this season without Gallup. Like, and here are his finishes. Wide receiver 42, 71, 53, 16. Nice. 66, 52, 16. And then wide receiver two this last week. So it definitely has some boom potential. You know, we saw him do it. Had a really nice game with Cooper Rush, you know, back in like week eight against the Vikings, you know, as well. I think that was his wide receiver 16 finish. But at the same time, Lamb and Cooper, I would still expect to lead the way. We did also, real quick on the Cowboys, we got Blake Jarwin back. Yeah. So he's been out since October. Um, don't worry too much about Schultz. I think this does cut off some of the top end of his potential. But Schultz has tied in five, eight, nine, and three finishes in Ooh. games before Jarwin got hurt, where he was seeing where Jarwin was seeing similar snaps to what he saw uh, this weekend, which was thirty percent of the routes. Dude, Dalton Schultz just had 78 catches for 808 yards and eight touchdowns. And, I, and we just want to keep dismissing him. <laughs> Every <laughs> single week, we're like, okay, good two <laughs> touchdown performance, but wait Way until go, next Dalton. week. Yeah, here's a little pat on the back. Go sit down. God, what a freaking, <laughs> you know? 
Three catches, 21 yards, two touchdowns. Points win football games. Good for You're you, the Dalton Schultz. With the Packers, Aaron Jones like wasn't even out there in this one. And I was actually surprised to see A.J. Dillon out there, mostly though just for the first half. I do wonder if we could see Aaron Jones like just get one of these 80-90% uh, snap rates. You know, the Saints kind of did this over the years where Alvin Kamara would split work in the regular season, keep him fresh. Once it comes down to, you know, last game of the year, Brent can't hold anything back now. That's when they kind of lean on him for every single snap. But just remains to be seen. We'll talk a little bit more about that ahead of the divisional round. More, uh, you know, actionable right now, Dwayne, was the Rams who debuted Cam Akers coming off the Achilles. Now, Akers and Sony, like these guys could not get anything going on the ground last week, but we did see Sony continue to dominate snaps 80% to 20% for Akers. You think this continues or are we actually going to see Akers start to seize back that starting job that was his, you know, this time about five months ago? Yeah, I, I mean... If you would ask me, is Akers coming back at all? Like I would have said no, right? right? So just the fact that he's even out here, like is just, it's amazing in itself. And so it's like, you know, you hate to like even try to go further than this because we should already just be like, holy crap, like how's Akers <laughs> even out here? But I, I feel like it's going to be mostly Sony, um, you know, going into the playoffs. I think Akers, maybe if they, if they make it, you know, into the second round, maybe into the third round, which they kind of hurt themselves with what happened this last weekend. But this first game will still be at home. Um, I think we could see Akers' role expand. I mean, my thought is you're going to get Daryl Henderson back too, you know, so he'll be eligible after the wild card game. Um, so you could have a situation where if they get to the divisional round, you could have all three backs available. So I, I do think that Sony, you know, He's been fine, but he's not been special. Like, I don't know what your thoughts are on Sony. To me, it's been pretty meh. You know, like he's, yeah, he's, the main thing he's done is he's stayed healthy. He's been able to be out there and be on the field. But it's not like I've been super impressed with Sony Michelle. No, that's, that's one, and that's one of the things I touched on in my uh, most complete teams article where, okay, we had Henderson and Sony in their respective workhorse stretches. They gave us some nice RB1 production, but that was really heavily just tied to that volume on the year. Rams were 28th in EPA per run play, 28th in yards after contact per carry, just 19th in explosive run play rate. So again, if you get 20 touches per game, it's going to be hard to bust on that. None of these Rams running backs were, you know, particularly exceptional though with their touches throughout the year. Final two teams to quickly go hey, over. Hey, real quick on the yeah. Rams, Ian. Van Jefferson did get back um, That's right. part of yeah. his routes that we saw go away last week, and we weren't for sure like how much was related to maybe an injury on one of the last two drives, but he got to 79% of the routes. Not at the 90% range that we saw for a long stretch here, like over the last five or six weeks before week 17, but a little closer to what we were used to around 80%. And Tyler uh, Higby. It's Tyler Higby season finally. We've been waiting all damn year. He's had the routes, um, just hadn't had the targets. Like, it's all been there. Tight end six, tight end one. Boom. Middle finger to everybody. Double birds from Tyler Higby to all of us. Thanks, Tyler. Right when we gave up on him. <laughs> <laughs> I stuck with him, dude. Year. I stuck with him to like week 10, and I just had the bell. I had the bell. But, yes, Ben Skaronik. Ben Skaronik <laughs> was back reduced to clear cut wide receiver four in favor of Van. Uh, just, just some A plus pronunciation from this podcast as always. <laughs> With the 49ers. So Elijah Mitchell back in act, you know, playing 53% snaps. We did see Jamichael Hasty 26% and get the pass down roll, which isn't completely out of the ordinary. Jeff Wilson also involved a little bit. Would say though, I mean, Mitchell, 21 carries, the rest of that group's one carry. So even if his snaps aren't as high as we might see across the league, he is still going to be that featured back. 
second. Man, you know, we'll talk about the Cowboys run defense in a little bit, but this is a problematic matchup for uh, that front seven against Mitchell and company. Finally, the last point I think we need to talk about. I've already about. had one of my yeah. good friends as a 49ers fan, like, ask me if I want to go to the game this weekend. And I'm just like, no, I was like, I don't want to go to a super spreader event. <laughs> I use that. <laughs> I pulled that card. Mainly, mainly I don't want to see the Cowboys get destroyed. Uh, so, yeah. People might pull that. Like if you don't want to go out to the bar on like Friday night, you're pulling that for a playoff. Game. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm thinking about maybe going to Cincy, uh, going to Cincy. Uh, on I would Saturday, love to watch but... Cincinnati play in the playoffs. I'll be rooting for the Cowboys. I, I've just gone to too many playoff games and walked away with my tail tucked between my legs. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. All right, last usage note uh, with the Buccaneers. So three wide receiver sets in the post-AB society we now live in. Tyler Johnson, Mike Evans, and Brashad Perryman with a splash of Scotty Miller and Jalen Darden. Cyril Grayson, who was really providing the most spark out of anyone, you know, other than Mike Evans when he was healthy in this group, just six total snaps. So Perryman, he was coming back from the COVID list during this, but it was surprising to, uh, to see, Dwayne, that, you know, Grayson didn't do enough to at least play like ahead of Scott Grayson injured his hamstring in the first quarter and that explains why so that's why there I like go. to go over these things uh, <laughs> before committing to it too much so we will see how Grayson recovers from the injury in the absence of Rojo though we did see Keyshawn Vaughn and Le'Veon Bell split the backfield so you know we'll see Rojo Fournette even Gio I think has a chance to come back here for the playoffs uh, just remains to be seen what exactly goes on in Tampa and yes any final notes on uh, the Buccaneers Dwayne I think that's about it no, you hit the main ones. Like, um, I mean, Vaughn's not going to really be a factor once we have the other guys back. But, like, I, the, the biggest thing, right, is we should be getting Leonard Fournette season again here soon. Who thought Who thought at the beginning of this year that, like, we would just be <laughs> clamoring for Leonard Fournette season to restart? The return of Lenny. All right, everyone, again, those are just some high – Playoffs. Those are some high-level takeaways from that Week 18 usage. Dwayne, like the warrior he is, is still pumping out the utilization report throughout the playoffs, and he's even adding some cool new features to that. So if you want more info on everything utilization, make sure you check out Dwayne's always excellent utilization report on pff.com. Now, Dwayne, I want to quickly go through the top dogs, the number one QB, running back, wide receiver, and tight end fantasy, and then just kind of talk about, you know, what exact, like how the position has changed over the past 20 or so years. I went ahead on Twitter and just from 2000 to 2021, listed out all these guys. So just to kind of go through the fantasy QB one, I'm not going to name every single player, but the cool takeaway here is that in 2003 and 2004, Dante Culpepper repeated as the fantasy QB one, and it took all the way until 2020 and 2021 one for Josh Allen to pull off that honor. So we saw Aaron Rodgers, Peyton, you know, Drew Brees, a bunch of guys. Uh, Tom Brady actually only had one finish, but there were other quarterbacks that had multiple years as uh, the overall QB one. But again, it took, you know, nearly a decade or nearly two decades, I should say, for someone to actually repeat. And Dwayne, what was so surprising, man? Like 2020, Josh Allen was a complete world beater in fantasy in real life, but we saw the lows that Josh had this year and the guy's still the fantasy QB one. Going into next season, man, it's going to be awfully difficult to not rank him as a top dog. And at a minimum, the guy needs to be jammed in your top three. Yeah. 
Here's what I think. Every offensive coordinator needs to get together and they need to powwow all summer because they got to crack this too high shit. Like I'm over it. Like I am over these freaking 225 yard passing games and you get three touchdowns from Mahomes. You're like, wow, Mahomes lit it up today. I'm like, I want 400 yard, four touchdown Pat Mahomes. Like, come on, let's go back to those days. So it's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, I think with any of these quarterbacks, especially with defenses playing as well as they are, Ian, like I think you have to give even more of a nod to the guys with the with the ability to rush yeah because if we are kind of going to be living in this new era like as offenses are trying to catch up they eventually will like make no doubt like they'll eventually figure it out we don't know when it will click will it be next year will it be the middle of the year after i don't know like i haven't ever studied like how quickly these trends can change i know some can move a lot faster than others but for me like just thinking here out loud like at a macro level that makes me like the guys that can run even more heading into 2022 if we're going to deal with these coverages And it is worth noting that, you know, some of these more recent big performers we've seen didn't exactly cost the highest draft capital when it happened. Patrick Mahomes in 2018, one of the best seasons we've ever seen a quarterback put up. He was a QB 16 in August ADP. Lamar Jackson the following year was even the QB 14. Last year, I mean, Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, these were all top eight quarterbacks. Even Aaron Rodgers last year. Yeah, I mean, Herbert was QB 8, Hurts QB 12, and Burrow QB 13. So I do think that, you know, even though Allen will be ranked that high, probably still leaning more towards late round uh, quarterback season twenty. Yeah. I'm not against taking if one of the big guys falls in the round five or six, you're really happy with you know the guy you got Way that too summer. early in. Let's let's push him down to eight or nine, then we'll take him. Great. Sounds good. Year of the late round QB continues. All right. Now, looking at the fantasy RBs, this one is pretty wild because since 2004, we have not seen a single running back have more than one season atop of the league. We saw Marshall Falk repeat from 2001-2001, Priest Holmes from 2002-2003. Since then, that would have been one different running back after another. You know, going back to 20. I'll go back to 2010, Aaron Foster, then Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson, Jamal Charles, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, David Johnson, Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, most recently Jonathan Taylor. But Dwayne, I mean, I think this, you know, just list of players really shows how freaking quick these great running backs come in and out of the league. And Jonathan Taylor, man, again, this is one of those things where it's like, does he deserve to be a number one overall running back going to next year? There's a very good argument for it. But with that said you're betting against you know a 15 16 year sample of these guys never repeating well what's most interesting to me about this list is almost everyone on it besides taylor has a sizable passing role like yeah. kamara like is a top two receiver on his team cmc when he did it was a top two target guy on his team barkley the year that he did it had a 20 percent target share <laughs> Gurley never was up in the 20s but he had a very effective pass that year he was sick game. as a receiver yeah yeah he didn't have like a huge target share but his receiving stats were still really great um yeah so and all like these David, guys you have to go Johnson. back to you have to go back to adrian peterson 2012 Yeah. So it's pretty rare to be able to do this, you know, without having, you know, a big role in the passing game. Now we saw Taylor's role expand in the passing game, but not on the level that we're talking about, like with these other players. Uh, The other one that I would go back to is like Sean Alexander. He didn't have a huge passing role, but like, oh man, that tiki year. Dude, I remember we invited a new player to our fantasy league that year and he drafted, uh, Culpepper and Tiki, I want to say, were his first two picks. Oh my God. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just remember with Tiki Barber, like, 
he always had that fumble problem. And then like seven or eight years into the league, he's like, oh yeah, this one coach says I should hold the ball high and tight. And then he just immediately <laughs> stops fumbling. Like how the hell? Yeah, Jason Garrett's little brother, John Garrett. God, I used to hate it when he was on hard knocks and he would just be railing on Martellus Bennett. <laughs> high and tight, Martellus, high and tight. It sounded like a, like a 1950s reporter guy. <laughs> like, Martellus Bennett had a carry of football. It was just a complete oh, joke. Oh my goodness. Sorry. Real quick before we keep going, people. I just want to let you know, we got some playoff football coming up. Might want to make some money on the old gambling streets you can do so through the DraftKings sportsbook app you can use code promo code pff bet just five dollars on any football team and win two hundred dollars in free bets if they're victorious that's promo code pff this week at DraftKings sportsbook just know you must be 21 or older to jersey and dinner in pennsylvania only new customers only minimum five dollar pause at one dollar wager one per customer restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook with details gambling problem call 1-800 gambler Moving on oh, to great our- on that note, great article today by Eric Eager and Ben Brown, just laying out everything around the playoffs, breaks it down into the teams that are the favorites, right? The ones that have the buys and based on what Vegas is saying. And then we give you the PFF view on it. And very quickly, like you can see, what are all the best bets if you want to put some money down for the playoffs? Go check and with that, that and with that in mind, you can check that out using code FANTASY to get 25% off any PFF subscription. And yeah, truly, Eric and Ben have been doing great stuff all year. We have a thing called NFL Green Line that just takes the spread and over-under and tells you the recommended bet based on our projections. Up 27 units a season. Dwayne, personally, I am not up 27 units a season. I kind of <laughs> wish I would just blindly go with NFL Green Line. You guys should learn from my mistake and do just that. Again, support the pod and use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub. Just trying to help make you a smart football fan and more profitable fancy footballer yeah anybody that comes to me and doesn't know anything about betting and they like i don't understand all the math and everything i'm like you don't have to i'm like just go to our website (laughs) go to the best bets tool it's the best because it just literally lays out here are the top bets for the week like across all the games it's awesome all right back to our regular schedule programming. Looking at the wide receiver one overall, this has been like the one group that we've actually seen guys have prolonged stretches of just overall wide receiver one dominance. So decade or 2000s, the millennial, I should say, started Marvin Harrison ripping off three straight overall wide receiver one finishes. We got Randy Moss here in 2003. Musa Muhammad went bonkers in 2004. That was a fun one. Steve Smith, triple crown winner in 2005. Harrison and Moss again in 06 and 07. Andre Johnson had a nice two-year stretch where he worked as the wide receiver one. Roddy White snuck a year in there. And then starting in 2011, we have Megatron get a nice two-year stretch. Demarius Thomas, RIP, he finished as the wide receiver one in 2013. Antonio freaking Brown. Say what you want about the man, but from 2014 to 2017, the overall wide receiver one. Man, if he just had not gone off the rails and we were able to put together, you know, three or four more 16-game seasons, it's crazy to think about the numbers he could have been putting up. Last four years, though, we have seen four different individuals 2018 Tyreek Hill 2019 Michael Thomas 2020 Devontae Adams and of course in 2021 Cooper Cup Dwayne next year I think is going to be really the first time that we've now had now a cup in the equation we're gonna have cup Healthy, good, Devontae. We'll see how the Aaron Rodgers situation goes out. But obviously, Devontae is doing his thing. Maybe Michael Thomas, after being forced to take this year off, is fully healthy. And obviously, Tyreek with Patrick Mahomes is always a threat as well. I mean, all four of these guys, I know Michael Thomas will be the one that we probably have to talk about the most. But at a minimum, Tyreek, Adams, and Cup, that kind of feels like our They'll top three. They'll all be three. in the top five. They'll all be in the yeah, top five. If like not you, top three. You're going to make an argument. There, there, we'll have to talk through Jamar Chase. 
You know, yeah. like, are you ready to take him over Tyreek? You know, they, they have similar probably kind of, you know, ceilings if you look at, you know, their big playability and all these other things. So it's just a matter of, you know, there's going to be some splitting hairs there. But, yeah, I think all three of these guys will be in the top five. And you look at Thomas Adams and Cup, and they really all did emerge as just undisputed number ones in their offense. Tyreek was a little more unique because Kelsey was getting his, but Mahomes was that damn good. I know we ne- couldn't necessarily predict this for Cup. I think it was reasonable to expect Cup and Woods would have a pretty even um, target share throughout the year, and we just saw Cup really explode and emerge as the wide receiver one. But Dwayne, I do think it's a good lesson that like when we see these offenses where there's you know if Adam Thielen for some reason is not back with the Vikings, like. We saw at least, I have no reason to say that, but let me rephrase. We saw in like the six weeks where Thielen was out of the picture, just how dominant Justin Jefferson could be. So I really do think that, you know, when we talk about this, okay, do we want to have multiple good receivers in an offense to take away coverage from the beast? More times than not, man, we will just take that volume. Yeah, for sure. And Justin Jefferson's the other one, right? That would be yeah. in the top five. Like just thinking of it, like I'm, I'm working on my ranks for tomorrow. Going to have those out, um, you know, for 2022, the way too early 2022 ranks. <laughs> but Justin <laughs> Jefferson will definitely be up there as well. I think the other thing to remember about these things, look, these guys, like I like looking at these lists, like and looking at the top five every year, because you want to see like how often do they repeat, you know? I mean, I think that the other takeaway is like, look, sometimes these, these guys are all really good. But sometimes you just have a career year, right? And there's a real good chance this is Cooper Cup's career year. Like it probably is. Like I, you know, we don't want to like. It for sure you know, is. This yeah, is we don't want to. We don't want to throw like a, a wet blanket over it. But like, look, it's most likely his career year. It'll be very crazy for him to repeat this. That doesn't mean he can't be in the top five again. But it's just something to remember for fantasy period. A lot of times these guys' best years when they finally climb the pinnacle, like and they get to say, hey, I'm the number one in my position in fantasy. Typically, it's a year where their efficiency just kind of goes nuts on top of the volume. Right. You know, so that's why we always bet on the volume. And, and yes, we bet on talent and where those two, two things converge. But I think that's the tricky spot with Cooper Cup. Like nobody thought his talent was that elite. People thought he was a really good slot receiver. Right. So I think, you know, with him, I think the other component of it is obviously some changes in the offense, you know, pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. Even though Matthew Stafford's had his struggles, I think there's been enough of a change, you know, that it did help Cooper Cup out. And then part of it's just been health. Like we've seen Cooper Cup be really good in the past, but he was able to stay healthy for the whole season. Definitely don't be the boy who cried regression just for no reason at all. But yes, again, goes back to one of our big lessons that we've talked about. Want to make sure we're projecting for 2022, not merely just reflecting on what happened in 2021. Final note we want to go over here is the tight end one. Man, like Tony Gonzalez have one hell of a career. Some of you millennials out there might not remember. I say that as a millennial myself. But anyway, 2000, 2001 was Tony Gonzalez as the tight end one. Todd Heap snagged a year in there, but then Gonzalez ripped off two more. Antonio Gates uh, was the tight end one, 2005, 2006. Jason Witten snuck in there in 07 before going back to Tony Gonzalez in 08. Dallas Clark in 2009. Jason Witten in 2010. Gronk in 2011. Jimmy Gronk. Graham, at this point, I'm not sure if he had no trade clause, but he was a tight end one regardless in 2012, 2013. Then Gronk in 2014, 2015. Travis freaking Kelsey, five straight years from 2016 to 2020, only to be knocked off by the one, the only Mark Andrews in 2019. 
2021. Now, Dwayne, the question is, we saw this amazing year from Andrews. Was that enough? We saw the Ravens move up and pet their pass play rate compared to past years. You know, once Lamar went down, we had a different quarterback under center for the majority of, you know, the last six or so weeks of the year. Is 2021's performance enough for you to go all in on Mark Andrews next year as the tight end one? Or do you still think he's someone that, yeah, he's in that top tier, but we're probably still going to rank him behind the Kelsey's, Kittles, Wallers of the world? It's got, man, I haven't dug super deep into it, but the way I'm looking at that top group is a tier, right? Less than just having to have a flag plan on this is the guy. I like all of them. Um, the thing I do, I get concerned, you know, a little bit with Andrews because we could easily see regression for the Ravens. It's not like they won a lot of games, you know, this year going with this all out passing offense. They were really more forced to run the passing offense, right? You had a lot of injuries on defense. You had a lot of your DBs hurt. Um, you All of your running backs were hurt. I mean, you came into the year like, yeah, we got we got J.K. Dobbins. We got Gus Edwards. Like, you know, <laughs> we got all these guys. And then all of a sudden you don't have anyone. Right. So I think injuries played a big factor in the way that the Ravens played offense this year. I do think they were planning on throwing the ball more than what we had what we had seen from them in the past. And I think you see that with their draft picks. Right. They had invested a decent pick in Andrews. They invested a first rounder in Marquise Brown. They invested a first rounder in Rashad Bateman. So I think obviously they wanted the, the ability to flex their offense in different ways. Like so if they felt like the matchup meant they want to throw more or if they got behind, they needed to throw more. But I don't think it meant, hey, we're just going to abandon the run game. So I think next year we're going to see a little bit more of a balanced Ravens offense. I think that could be enough that it does hurt Mark Andrews a little bit because the thing, the only thing that Andrews really missed, like he's always had the efficiency. We've just never had him in a high enough, you know, route percentage and on a team running enough passing plays to really sustain, you know, him being in the top three. And we really got that this year. Like he had 154 targets in 17 games. Like <laughs> I know. Okay, he never played 16 the previous two years, but he's only had 98 and 88 targets. Like Hollywood Brown was still very involved himself, but to Dwayne's point, it really was just that overall offensive environment. So shout out to all these number one overall fantasy finishers. We thank you for your contributions in 2021. We'll see what happens in 2022. All right, everyone, before we get out of here, I do want to talk about my article I wrote. You can find it on pff.com. The most complete playoff teams. I have a very long disclaimer in the intro because I got absolutely ripped alive on Twitter with this last year because, look, the goal of this is I took, you know, four different stats for the passing offense, the rushing offense, offensive line, receivers, pass defense, run defense, havoc, tackling. I took four different stats, took the average ranks, and then went through each and every one of these, but I weighed them all the same. I fully understand that quarterback is the most valuable, most important position in the offense, but we always just spend all the time talking about the quarterback. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but let's do something different. There's how many players on every single team I think we can spend time talking about, you know, the bigger holes throughout the rest of the roster and maybe try to see the main strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, might see the PFF account hanging me out to dry going, Ian Hart's his most complete teams, you know, one to 12, go knock yourselves out, one to 14, excuse me. Just realizing, you know, there is a little bit more context that goes into it. And there are some limitations in the study. I didn't include coaches, strength of schedule, things of that nature. But with all that said, Dwayne, Big overall takeaways, five of the top six teams in these average ranks did come from the NFC. In order, 49ers number one, the Patriots number two, Packers, Buccaneers, Rams, Cowboys, Bills, Eagles, Bengals, Raiders, Cardinals, Titans, Chiefs, and Steelers. So again, this is based on kind of the full kind of pick, big picture of everyone. But Dwayne, at least for me, it was interesting to see at the top, the 49ers and Patriots. Okay, we know Jimmy G and Mac Jones, like we're not afraid of them, but once you move past 
the quarterback, which again is incredibly important, it's hard to find a hole in either of these teams. Yeah, man, they both look good. And like looking at this sheet, like it it makes me even that much more afraid for the Cowboys this weekend. <laughs> looking at the 49ers, because like when you look at the way the 49ers want to win, like they want to establish the run. They want to get Elijah Mitchell going. They want to get Debo Samuel going. And they want to use play action. And like that's the way you can beat the Cowboys. Like they are not built, they they are they don't have the personnel to really stop the run, especially, you know, in between the tackles all day long. They want to get a lead, then they want to rush the passer so it's going to be really important for the cowboys this coming weekend to get ahead of the 49ers otherwise man it could be a really long day at jerry world i had that same kind of realization going through this and you know i've I've done this for three years it's not like the number one number two teams have just gone on to dominate the playoffs but it does seem like this 49ers offense in particular uh, could cause a lot of problems for that cowboys defense number three most complete team is the green bay packers and man even going through this like their main offensive deficiency is the offensive line they're getting david bakiari back that's freaking huge all-world left tackle then also on defense like the run d isn't great but they're getting zadarius smith back and getting jair Alexander back could probably help them, you know, just devote more resources to the front seven if they feel the need to do so. So I'm really excited to probably see that Green Bay Tampa Bay rematch at some point or another in Lambeau in the NFC. With the Buccaneers, though, man, I think this is where it could get a little bit interesting. If they can't get Levante David back from IR, only the Lions posted the worst rate of missed tackles than the Buccaneers this season. So, Dwayne, at full strength, man, like I, I picked Tampa Bay as my NFC representative before the season started, but you start taking away these receivers. You, t- you maybe ha- don't have Levante David. I don't think this 2022 version of the Buccaneers on paper is quite the same juggernaut as the team we saw last year. Go ahead and win the Lombardi. Right. I mean, the key is you've got Brady, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's but, always that. <laughs> but it, it makes for an interesting you know, situation this weekend, right, when you've got you know, the Eagles going to play the box. And if you look at, you know, the box, according, you know, to the data you've got here, like really the tackling where they rank 29th, you know, and if you look over here at the Eagles and you look at their run game, which is fifth overall, offensive line is third overall, like that could make for an interesting matchup. Maybe the Eagles could make this game. It, it's the same thing that we're going to see with the Cowboys, like the Buccaneers, they need to get ahead of the Eagles early. They need to take them out of their game plan, make it something where they're going to have to throw the ball more than they want to. Um, because these teams, these two, these teams, the Eagles, uh, the Titans, the 49ers, the Patriots, they're stubborn. Like they will stick with the run even when losing. So you you can't just get ahead by seven. You, you got to get up like by two scores. Um, it's got to be like in the third quarter. Then you can probably unleash the pass rush, you know, and you put yourself in a good situation. But it is very interesting looking at these two matchups because that's potentially a strength on a weakness for the Eagles versus the Bucks. Buccaneers, I mean, number one in Havoc, they're great at getting out for the quarterback, creating those negative plays. But yeah, I mean, that first half of the year dominance against the run really didn't persist until the end of the year. Five of the Buccaneers' final seven opponents managed to clear over 100 yards on the ground. And it's like, okay, yeah, you see the Colts, you know Jonathan Taylor will get there. But 173 of the Bills, 121 the Falcons, 150 rushing yards to the Jets. To your point, Dwayne, uh, we could see the Eagles have some success, more success at least than I think people would expect on the ground. With the Rams, kind of mentioned this earlier, but yeah, that run game has kind of been their kryptonite on offense. Only the Dolphins, Falcons, Texans, and Raiders have averaged a lower EPA per run play on the year. Defense, they have been pretty damn good overall. I would just note that, you know, Jalen Ramsey, as great as he is, can't cover everyone back there. They have been a more average, I think, pass defense than a lot of people might realize. With the Cowboys, yes, I mean, just the glaring red hole on this handy-dandy chart I have is that run defense. You look at Parsons, Gregory, and Lawrence, every single 
single player in the league. Like these are top 25 ranked pass rushers. So they can get after the quarterback and just with their ability to get that pressure that allows Trayvon Diggs and company to sit on routes, not worry so much about it going deep, but it's that run, man. And with, to your point about the Eagles, like the 49ers are another team where if they're able to have success on the ground, they're not going to get away from it with the Cowboys 30th and yards before contact allowed per carry 27th and EPA allowed per run play. Like Dwayne, we've, I remember like week 12 or week 13, like you just made the point watching Cowboys games. You know, the one thing about this defense, they can't stop the run. Yeah, man. Like it's very interesting. Like this shapes up like as you know, this could make, you know, some of these games more interesting than what we thought they were going to be this weekend. Um, And, and, you know, you know, this with like these teams that are heavy on the run when they can get their run game going like they can play against anyone. Um, And it just so happens, though, the matchups are looking a little bit more juicy than maybe what we originally thought, you know, looking at the sheet. This is cool. Bills run game actually pretty damn efficient. Yeah, now, this this is surprised like, me. I was like, what? Number four? Right. I mean, the only offensive with a positive EPA per run play this year, because again, it just doesn't usually this is why analytics are like never run the ball because just based on EPA per play, you're better off throwing. But the only ones that actually were in the positive run the ball, Eagles, Colts, Browns, Seahawks, Bills, Ravens, and Chiefs. So they do have the third lowest run play rate in non-garbage time situations. But you know, the common thing kind of on the old Twitter sphere is all oh, the Bills can't run the ball. Like they're not built for January, February football. They can run the ball. We'll see if they actually decide to do so or not here in the playoffs. Uh, we talked about the Eagles and yeah, fifth overall offense, or excuse me, third overall offensive line. Three of their five starters have been ranked as top 12 players at their position. Uh, Dwayne, I do think the kind of interesting part is you see a lot of similarities with the Bengals and the Cardinals where these passing games, man, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, when they are clicking, things are just usually going right. I would say they're trending in slightly different different uh, you know, positions just based on the second half of the season, particularly over these past four weeks. And then on the defense, okay, you got some good pass rushers in there. Trey Hendrickson did a lot of good things in his first year with the Bengals. Obviously, Chandler Jones again, J.J. Watt. That's great. But at the end of the day, we're going to need Joe Burrow and Kyle Murray to be as special as they were at different points of the year to try to make a run at this. What passing game would you kind of like, would you be least surprised if, I'm saying this all wrong, Kyler versus Burrow, who would you take for the next four games? Burrow, and it's just because like I, his he's got the better weapons. Like the weapons are healthy and they're yeah. all on fire. I mean, you've got if you've got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, and then you've also yeah. got Mixon and like Uzoma. Like man, those don't look now. You saw who was activated today. <laughs> yeah, it's on great, tape, great baby. To Playoff on. Yeah, so <laughs> with for me, like the Bengals. It's just a matter of what game plan are they going to try to roll out here. Hopefully, it's the one we've seen the last two weeks where they've, where they've been unstoppable, even against a defense that was good, right, against the pass and the Chiefs. So I think the Bengals do decide that it's just some, it's time to let you know Burrow do his thing. Like, man, they could really make some noise um, over these next few weeks. And their pass, because I know Dwayne, utilization report, you're always looking at pass play rates and neutral, then trailing, then ahead. They have been actively throwing the ball more often over these past few weeks. Yeah, they have. So, I mean, if you look at them over the season, um, whenever they're trailing by four or more points, they're minus 4% versus the NFL average. Within three points, plus 2%. This is their pass rate versus their run. Plus 3% when they're leading by four or more four or more neutral first downs, which means the score's within three points and you're excluding overtime and the two-minute uh, end of the halves. They're plus 1%. And then inside the five-yard line, they're plus 5% pass rate. But over the last – so they're pretty close to average on a lot of those. But 
over the last 12 weeks, um, whenever they're leading by four or more points, they're plus 9% versus only plus 3% on the season. So they're starting to drop back and throw the ball a little bit more, not probably quite as much as what we want, but if you, but if you were to isolate it down to the last two games, you know, which I didn't do in the utilization report, I basically did that last week and last week's mm-hmm. uh, version of it. But yeah, they've really thrown the ball way more over the last two games. So that's what we're hoping that we see is just basically a, uh, a leaning to the pass offense, no matter what the game script is. And yes, it is too bad that Kyler and company won't have DeAndre Hopkins at their disposal. Credit to Kyler, though, man. Don't let this kind of relatively down month-long stretch take away from this third-year boom. He has had best QB this year in terms of just a combination of big-time throw rate while also limiting his turnover-worthy plays. Have you read Real anything qu- new on Hopkins? I know originally there was still hope that he would be back. Like, and I, read I think it's NFC today. Championship best case. That's what I read, That's too. That's what I heard. Okay. So, yep. yeah, okay. probably not for this week. Uh, and then quickly with the Raiders, because like you look at their season, long stats, particularly in the passing game. And you see that they're pretty good. I mean, 10th overall pass offense in the metrics I looked at and the receivers, you know, coming in at six, you can talk about chicken and egg, chicken and the egg thing uh, with the receivers versus the QB sometimes. Just realize, I mean, the second half version in the post-Rugs era has been really brutal. Derek Carr in weeks one through seven, 90.2 PFF passing grade since 63.7. His yards per attempt have gone from 8.5 to just seven. Big time throw rate cut in half. His average target depth down from 9.2 to 7.8. So got that win last week, but man, we just still haven't seen the best version of this uh, Raiders passing attack. Really, other than that random Thanksgiving win against the Cowboys, um, you know, dating back to when Ruggs was out there stretching the field. Final few notes. These bottom three teams, man, Titans, Chiefs, and Steelers, you know, I wouldn't be mad at anyone if they wanted to call the Titans and the Chiefs, you know, the two favorites in the AFC. I think the Bills, you know, certainly probably deserve to have their name uh, towards the top of that list too. But with the Titans in particular, you know, we were kind of talking earlier about what to make of Derrick Henry moving forward. He does give them a chance of being great and just being a mismatch problem. I think it's the same way a lot of people viewed the Colts back when we thought they were going to actually make the playoffs and not lose to the freaking Jaguars in Week 18. But with Derrick Henry this year, the Titans were sixth and over, excuse me, eighth and overall EPA per play, 15th when passing and second in rushing. Without, they dropped to 19th overall, 17th in passing and 25th in rushing. So, Dwayne, I mean, Deontay Foreman did a nice Derrick Henry impression for us there. At the same time, if we can get King Henry back and AJB and Julio, I mean, other than the Packers, man, I'd say the Titans are the other team getting healthy at the exact right time. Yeah, I mean, Foreman over the last two games, 62% of the rushing attempts in both games. So, I mean, honestly, like if we just knew it was going to be Foreman and Henry wasn't going to be back, like Foreman would be probably my favorite piece to choose from the Titans just because we know that they want to run the ball. And if they're being successful, they're probably running the ball a lot. And I mean, A.J. Brown is obviously always on the table. Um, But just thinking about how do the Titans want to play in order to continue to advance forward in the playoffs? And if you look at, you know, we talked about the Bengals splits, like listen to these. Like, so for the, since week 12, trailing by four or more points, they're minus 20% in the pass rate. So that means they run the ball 20% more than the NFL average within three points, nine minus 9%. And when leading by four or more minus 2%. So basically, um, the Titans just want to run the ball. <laughs> that's all they want to do. If they could get away with it, they will. And that's why you got A.J. Brown coming out and telling us he doesn't care about our fantasy teams. He just wants to win football games, and he knows the way his coach wants to do it is running the football. Good for you, A.J.B. 
looking at the Chiefs, you know, just we know what they're capable of, but we all saw what they look like for half the year. That's why their numbers kind of come in the way they do. But the one part that really stands out, only the Cowboys in my collection of offensive line metrics actually had a better group up front. Chiefs, fourth in PFF run blocking grade, sixth in pass blocking grade, third in yards before contact per carry, and sixth in pressure rate allowed. So great stuff from that retooled offensive line that, you know, was really the source of a lot of talk going into the year. And we did see the Chiefs, you know, created a lot of havoc and to their credit, improved really once they brought Melvin Ingram into the fold. You know, you got Chris Jones, PFF, sixth highest grade interior defender. Once he was able to return to his more natural position, I do think that helped a ton. So early on this year, I mean, we could not say enough bad things about this Chiefs defense. And now, I mean, they gave up more than 30 points in five of their first eight games. Only once have they allowed that total from week nine on after adding Ingram. Twain, final note here, like this Steelers team, my God. Every single category, they are below average. Like the offensive line is the quote unquote positive, but that's only because their pressure rate's so low, which is because Ben Roethlisberger refuses to hold on to the ball. We've joked about the fourth down plays all year, but now on the season, 62% of his passes were short of the sticks. Like Jared Goff was the second worst, and that was at 58%. So like just looking at this matchup against the Chiefs, man, you better hope these wide receivers just have themselves a day because for the life of me, man, I cannot find any anything good about this offense and then even on the defensive side of things man like J- like tj watt incredible year i would probably still give mvp defensive mvp to aaron donald but i'm not going to disagree with you if you want to give it to tj watt but just realize even with one of the best pass rushing years we've ever seen this was the 20th ranked defense and pressure rate they were 20th in havoc league worse in yards before contact allowed per carry so you know Dwayne, this is one of these games where like i just can't like in my mind to come up with a single scenario how the Steelers like even keep this one close against Kansas City unless I don't know Deontay and Claypool go bonkers that's all I got man yeah man the problem is like over the last four games uh you've got Ben averaging 169 yards passing so it's not like he's really you know these receivers these receivers have been there now Claypool's getting to play more he's kind of out of the doghouse now but still, and then when you look at Ben, like entering the playoffs, he has the worst PFF passing grade of 55.2. Like that's just, you know, it's fourth worst in the league. It's the worst in the playoffs by far. So it's just, it's just a problem. And looking at these ranks, right, it really shows you how much quarterback matters because Mahomes is what's pulling up the Chiefs. And then Ben is what is just like totally cratering. Well, the, if you look at the Steelers, they have a lot of problems, but Ben definitely leads the way. Dude, like P- any, any stat, and this is why when I get annoyed at people just hating on like PFF grades, like, okay, we're not asking you to make this one grade your entire evaluation of a player, but PFF passing grade, he's 40th among 44 quarterbacks. QB rating, 28th. Yards per attempt, 37th. Adjusted completion rate, 32nd. Big time throw rate, 28th. Turnover worthy play rate, 38th. The dude's been inaccurate, not having an ability to make elite throws, and he's had a bad habit of turning over the ball. Other than that, though, Dwayne, you know, solid final season for Big Ben. <laughs> Again, people, that's my most complete teams article. You can find it on pff.com. Just trying to look at a little bit more than just the ever important quarterback position. So check that out if you feel like it. And also check out our fine sponsors over at manscaped.com. We can use, use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Again, that's manscaped.com with code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped. 
manscaped.com and use code PFF. It's New Year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. Also invite you all to submit questions to Western and Southern and become eligible to win a catering up to $2,500 for the big game on February 13, 2022. You can submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that was westernsouthern.com slash askchris. You can hear those answers on the Chris Collinswood podcast and Western Southern's Instagram every single week. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. And remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Dwayne will be back tomorrow previewing all the games. We're going to have a cool little DFS player prop combination episode uh, along the way on Thursday. Friday, we'll be back hitting on the injuries. So still got four podcasts planned for this week. Great day to be great. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man. Just excited for the playoffs. Uh, I'll have utilization report hit today, and then you will have my uh, 2022 ranks come out on Thursday. And then on Friday, you will get all of my rankings and tiers for the week, as well as my smash plays, all that kind of good stuff. The man is always grinding. As always, you can follow Dwayne on Twitter at Dwayne McFarlane. And Dwayne, the people said it couldn't be done. They said that we couldn't do a podcast in under an hour. And we managed to accomplish just that. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you as always for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.